The following podcast is presented by Ensign Services, Inc., a company engaged in the business of providing contracted for administrative and back office type support services to post-acute healthcare clients. Ensign Services provides accounting, human resources, compliance, legal, risk management, information technology, training, construction support, and other such miscellaneous services to its clients. These contracted for services are available to be utilized at the sole discretion of its clients. References within the podcast to the company and its activities, as well as the use of the terms we, us, its, our, and similar terms used during the discussion are not meant to imply that Ensign Services, Inc. or the Ensign Group, Inc. has any direct operational control, supervision, or direction of the independently operated post-acute healthcare entities. It's good to be back uh, on the Ensign podcast. It's been a while since I've gotten to record one of these with Clayton. Welcome uh, back, Ryan. Well, thank you very much. It's good it's, to have you. It's definitely good to be here. Uh, today, we're actually going to talk about a podcast from uh, that was based on a book written by uh, Stephen Covey, uh, "The Speed of Trust." And make sure we get the right Stephen Covey. It's Stephen M. R. MR Covey. Okay. It's the be- son, <laughs> and it's actually he's Stephen M. R. Covey is a is a member of the board of directors of the Pennant Group. Okay. And even more famously, he's the kid in Green and Clean. I that's did how not, powerful this is. That's pretty impressive. Yeah, that is, like I want to get his autograph. <laughs> one of one of my favorite actual uh, teachings and videos that we've that we've that's talked right. about is, is the Green and Clean. You know, so so really the basic topic of the book, which is called the Speed of Trust, is obviously trust. Obviously, it's it's very important trust. Um, there's a lot of questions that can be surrounding why it's so important and what you can do and, and how you can have trust if it's not there. Uh, and so many other questions just surrounding that that topic of trust. So let's really start with the most obvious one, which is referenced in the name. Um, why does he call it the speed of trust instead of maybe the power, the importance, the the need for? Why does he focus on the speed of trust? Yeah, I mean, it seems like an obvious topic, right? Because it's trust. And we think everybody knows that trust is important. Mm-hmm. But I, I think one of the best examples of this is is something we just observed in this whole COVID mess. And and. In a lot of trainings that I've done, I've shown this graph that has been put together of the industry census and uh, the Ensign affiliated census declining all at the same rate. But then about a month after this decline starts, you start to see the Ensign affiliated entities start to pull up and recover in their census. And not until another 60 days after that do you see the rest of the industry start to pull up. And and it's really so if you can kind of picture that difference in the graph of mm-hmm. of ensign pulls up first, the rest of the industry takes another sixty days, and and you could say what's the difference among a hundred answers is my number one answer, and that is the trust that is inherent in our model that pushes all authority to where the information is mm-hmm. to the facilities, right? So mm-hmm. that. That is a demonstration of the speed of trust. Each facility is its own legal entity. The trust is is on them, and that enhances the speed of their response rate. And I I think it's a model that so many great companies follow. I I think I've talked about this before. Ritz-Carlton, if I'm a bellhop at the Ritz-Carlton, I'm allowed to spend up to $2,000 without requiring any approval to solve a guest problem. Wow. They just trust their employees. Uh, the, the Nordstrom employee handbook, this, this is what the whole handbook says. It says, use good judgment in all situations. <laughs> that's a great handbook. That's, that's the very handbook. clear. That's awesome. I mean, but you but you see the trust that's inherent in that. Right. We, they say, we've hired you because we trust you. Now use that judgment. And when we think of all the things we try to spell out and lock into an agreement, I mean, it's just, 
when we don't trust somebody, those handbooks can become 500 pages long. <laughs> right. Right. Spilling every little thing exactly. out. Exactly. Now, now don't confuse this. I, I don't want to, I don't want to mistake this for the need to clarify expectations. Right. We've always got to be clear with expectations. But when we make these big, thick handbooks of things that you can or can't do, we sort of become so burdened by contracts and 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 every single word in these contracts that don't allow us to be flexible and, and think in our situations. And the reality is you can't draw up an agreement thick enough for people who don't <laughs> trust you, right? That's why we draw them up because no, there's a lack of trust. Yeah, it makes a ton of sense. I mean, you, you can't cover every possible scenario that you could imagine at some point. There's got to be they some try to, trust. Right, because right. of that lack of trust. Right. I, you know, one of my favorite stories from this book is is of a New York City vendor. I, I just I love the New York City theme uh, uh, scene. And, and there's this vendor, and I don't even know what he was trying to sell, trying mm-hmm. to sell some product. I'm sure it was legal. <laughs> and, and and he was trying to handle things as as quickly as he could. But the customers were losing patience and, you know, they had to get to work before someone else could help them. Mm-hmm. You, you've sort of pictured these delis or whatever and right. you're waiting in line and it's not happening. So, so he decided to practice trust. And imagine this. He set out a bucket with dollars and coins and told them to pay what they owed and take out the correct change. That's actually interesting. You you mentioned this in Bend, Oregon, where I was visiting my cousin one year. Very much like we, New York we City. Went, it was very similar, yeah. right? Same hustle and bustle. <laughs> It did have a very, very busy establishment, um, and it, they had a similar practice where they were so busy that they couldn't afford somebody working the tiller, and they left out change, and you paid for what you got and made your own change, and they trusted the customers. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, really and was. you think, you know, they trust their customers, and, and you would think, well, he's going to get burned or all these things that would happen, you know, but he doubled his revenues without adding any costs. Yeah. <laughs> people were just people they, they they maybe a few people weren't trusted. I wonder right. if a few people did steal. I don't know. Right. But but the cost of of not trusting them ended up being a lot higher than the cost of trusting them. Does that make sense? Yeah. So it's it's just sort of an example of the speed of trust. Well, and that does make a, a ton of sense to me. But if if you don't mind um just backing up a little bit and yeah. talk a little bit more about what you mean by the word trust. I just just to be really clear on, on yeah, trust. Yeah, I, I think it's mean. important. I let let's call trust uh confidence, right? Um which which goes so much beyond, you know, just trusting somebody's integrity, right? We need to trust in their abilities. So so sometimes it helps me to think about the opposite. So the opposite of of confidence is is suspicion. So think about what we become suspicious of. We might become suspicious of somebody's integrity. We might be suspicious of their agenda. We might be suspicious of their capability or their track record. So so think about high trust relationships that you're in. And again, high confidence relationships that you're in. In a high trust relationship, and think about this, this is interesting. You can say the wrong thing. And people will still get your meaning, right? <laughs> yeah, no, I'm, I'm thinking of some <laughs> clear examples. I've done that. With sure. and, and you say the wrong thing, but sure. you get each other and you understand each other and you trust each other's sure. agenda and their integrity. And other. But, but now reverse that. In a low trust relationship, you can be so very measured, precise, 
and they will still misinterpret you. Yeah, I, I, in my, I, as I look back at my life examples, I think this is just a great, <laughs> great example to use. Yeah, it's it's like you know when you don't trust someone's motives. Ga- Gandhi, we're gonna we're gonna quote Gandhi a little bit in this podcast. He was a smart guy, so I think he's worthy of it. He says, "The moment there is suspicion about a person's motives, everything he does becomes tainted." Hmm. So he says that. This this is why we're constantly talking about transparency and vulnerability as leaders. Be be real. Be where you say you're going to be. Do what you say you're going to do. If if you say as a leader, uh, just just think of, you know, leaders of skilled nursing facilities and say, I'm going to head out early and go do some marketing, but you're really going home early. (laughs) Your trust has been damaged, right? right? That integrity has been questioned. And and the cost of that distrust is so expensive. Your your turnover and, and, and... you know, the number one reason by far that people leave their jobs is their relationship with their supervisor. If they don't trust their supervisor, they won't feel safe and they'll leave. In fact, it's interesting. There, there's, I've learned there's one question that predicts a team's performance more than any other question they might ask. Right. Are, are you curious? I, I'm ready for it. Pins it. and needles? What, what is okay, it? I here's am on the pins question. And needles. Do you trust your boss? Hmm. That's it. If you have high turnover, your teams don't trust you <laughs> or, or they don't trust yeah. who you have in place to lead them. In fact, Fortune Magazine pointed out that trust between managers and employees is the primary defining characteristic of the very best workplaces. It's trust. Yeah. It keeps going back to this term. That's, that's really, really interesting. Um, okay. So... Uh, Let's just say that there there are some people that I I just don't trust. Um, no matter what 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 I'm doing or thinking about it, I just don't trust them. So you're telling me that just I just I just have to trust. Right okay, I, I I will. There's Vanessa. There's <laughs> oh wait oh she's here. Sorry. I mean uh, I'm not going to name anybody on the podcast, but let's just say they do exist. Um, are you telling me that I just need to trust everybody regardless of the person or the people? Or I mean, you know Vanessa, should I just trust right? her? Right? It seems dangerous. Exactly. To trust and 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 it seems is like a- it could be bad if that's just the strategy. Yeah, it is a dangerous strategy. And I, I, I'm i not talking about extending blind or foolish trust to someone like Vanessa or, okay. or, or to people that okay. you shouldn't. But, but the point is, there are steps that you can take to proactively establish trust okay. and strengthen relationships. For example, think about what it does for a person when you extend trust to them. Like it it. It, when somebody trusts me with something, it lifts me. It inspires me. It, it, it makes me want to rise to deserve that trust. And our, our model is largely built on this belief that trust is one of the most powerful forms of motivation and inspiration. People want to be trusted. They, they respond to trust. They, they, they thrive on trust. And, and here's the other thing I'll say on this. You're, you're right that there is a real risk in trusting other people. Uh, but as I just said before, I think there's a far greater risk in not trusting them. So, so what do I mean by that? Let me let me share an example from uh, from our organization. We we have one of our um, constantly in the top two and often the top highest admitting facilities is Montecito. Okay, 
And Montecito, many years ago, adopted this program that they call the Fast and Easy Program. They, they recognized that this program inherently had a real risk around the trust they were putting in their discharging partners, right? Mm-hmm. They had to trust that they weren't going to necessarily slide these the wrong patients in or right. people that didn't have uh, the right payer sources. or There was a lot of trust that usually it takes so much time to verify all of these things. And they decided they were going to really establish a trust with their discharging partners. But the belief was that the cost and the risk of not trusting those partners was much heavier than the risk and the pain caused from fallaciously trusting them. Okay. Right? Does that make sense? Yeah, so, no, it so, does. so maybe every once in a while, somebody does slide in that causes them to lose money or right. the, there's somebody that they, they that was difficult for. But, but the number of people that they lose from their slow response times is so much higher. Right. The cost of not trusting is so much higher than the cost of, of trusting them. And by learning to trust them, you know, again, every once in a while they might they might fail, but but they receive so many more that make up for those losses. I'll say again, there's a risk in trusting people, but there is a far greater risk that comes from not trusting no, them. And I, I think that makes a ton of sense. And the, the example you used, I, I think it can really highlight that. So how, how do you really help us develop and grow to get to that point where um, we can start trusting people that maybe we didn't used to trust or that yeah. I didn't used to trust. like Other than just saying, go do it. Right. Trust. Yeah. <laughs> and, and maybe doing it the wrong way or applying the wrong amount of trust in the wrong people. And But yeah, how would you actually develop that that skill set and start? So, so I think a large focus of this podcast, I'd like to be on, on sort of self-trust. Okay. And yeah. this idea of how credible and believable am I to others? If you can't trust yourself, then you really can't trust other people. You won't trust other people because you, you sort of... You extrapolate your situation, right? It, it all starts with becoming a, a, a trustworthy person, and that's all within your control. So here's the question to ask yourself, and, and, okay. and, and the, the, the verb I use is intentional. Do I exude trust? Do I exude trust? Like, is it seeping from my pores? Or am I the type of person that people look at and they just don't question uh, their trust in me? Hmm. You know, where they say, how could I not trust them? If not, what about either your character or your competency do you need to change to get you there? Hmm. So our integrity has to be solid. Our intent has to be good. And, you know, if... I, I really like this. Warren Buffett uh, really runs his businesses in a distinct way. If you're a part of Warren Buffett's organization, there's an extreme pressure to succeed. Yet even he says this. He says, lose money for the firm and I will be understanding. Lose a shred of reputation for the firm and I will be ruthless. <laughs> I mean, that makes a ton of sense to me though, right? Because he realized uh, what an no. asset that is. He knows the value of that trust. That's that's awesome. I mean, the the integrity piece to me seems really, really obvious. Um, without it, we can't trust people. And I think for the most part, um, we like to think that we do have it, <laughs> yeah. but we but we do end up questioning it in other folks. I think since we're on Warren Buffett, the another quote of his that I that I happen to love is the following: uh, I look for three things in hiring people. The first is personal integrity. The second is intelligence. And the third is a high energy level. But if you don't have the first, the other two will kill you. Which is <laughs> Yeah. So interesting, right? Like those other two are, are 
If you have <laughs> if you have great intelligence and high energy, but you don't have personal integrity, right? That's a bad combination. That's scary. <laughs> that's very scary. I mean, that has to become an essential when we're interviewing people. Absolutely, right? integrity. I, and I, you know, it's difficult Absolutely. to assess integrity in an interview, but it's got to be an an essential. How do we make sure with integrity um, that that we have integrity, or even know if we have enough integrity, or yeah, How would I, think, you that? I think you're right in that we all just sort of assume that we do. Yeah. Um, I've always assumed that I do until I realize stories. Uh, <laughs> or maybe you go highlight like something I you don't. That I don't. Yeah. Or what my price is. I, yeah. I, I want to share this first one carefully. I, I don't, I, I, I know I need to improve my integrity. Uh, my dad taught me a really powerful lesson on this when, when I first graduated from college. I graduated in accounting from Brigham Young University and I. Um, I started getting offers. I interviewed with, with there, it was the big five at the time. And so I interviewed with the big five and then the sixth largest, which okay. was called Grant Thornton. And I interviewed and I got offers from all of them. I was really excited. I've been a college student. I've been, right. you know, working my way uh, through school, not making a lot of money. And now I'm starting to make money. And I got an offer and I, and I was flown out to all these places to see their offices. And I was starting to be wine and dine <laughs> for the first time, even though I don't drink wine. Right. You know, so I, I understand what you're saying okay. though. It was, it was available it to was you, available. but you chose to pass. So I was grape juice and, <laughs> and dined. And, uh, and, and so as I get all these offers, I get really excited and right. I find one that I really like. Okay. And I tell them verbally, I'm, I really like you guys. I, I'm going to sign with you. And they said, great, we're really excited. Well, in the meantime, another firm came back to me mm-hmm. and said, um, hey, we really would like you to join us. We would like to increase our offer and right. throw in this laptop and, you know, and some other things. I'm like, wow. And so then I go <laughs> back to the first offer and I say, hey, they've offered me this and I haven't signed anything and blah, blah, blah. Right. And they said, okay. And they countered and it went up. So I called my dad and I said, hey, listen to what's happening. And I'm telling him this story like in a very I'm excited proud. Yeah, way. Hey, I'm yeah, getting look, into this counter at, battle. And, and he says, he says, Clay, I'm, I'm proud of you. I'm, I know you've worked really hard mm-hmm. and I, I'm really happy that you're in this situation. Can I offer you a piece of advice? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm like, dang it. Yeah, dad, you can offer me. He said, look, I've learned very early on in life that my word needs to mean something yeah. in business. Yeah. And um, this is your decision and what you do, you know, that all. but I've learned that if I give my word to somebody, it needs to mean something. And if you start off on the wrong track, that can be a very dangerous path yeah. to follow. So I called <laughs> and it was a really kind of awkward call, phone call to make. And I called, I called the second offer and thanked them and said I was going to ex- uh, accept an offer somewhere else. And, and, uh, and then I called the first organization that made the offer, and I yeah. said, uh, I'm really excited to join your firm. I appreciate your offer. I'd like to join you, and I'd like to accept the first offer oh, that you made to really me. <laughs> and I kind of felt stupid. Right, what am I like, doing? I kind of felt dumb. But but I And I told them the story, and they sort of listened. It was kind of silent for a while. I don't know if they were thinking, <laughs> uh, man, what an idiot. Actually, I'll tell you what they said. They said... Man, I really like recruiting at BYU. <laughs> but he said, he said, uh, you know, I, I just said I, I, I want my word to mean something, and hopefully, I can prove myself because yeah. I, you know, I like money. I want yeah, to make of more of it. Uh, but, but, uh, you know, integrity is easy, except when it's not right. Except when it costs you something. You could say I didn't do anything illegal. Right. In that situation, but, but, but I was putting my word in question, and, and, and. 
We need to be real. Listen to some of these quotes. Uh, Oprah. I'm going to quote Oprah. Uh, a car for you? A car for Oprah. You. Yeah, oh, sorry. But I, uh, wrong, Oprah. Wrong this is in the book. Oprah said, real integrity is doing the right thing, knowing that nobody's going to know whether you did it or not. Here's another one. Former uh, Fed chairman Alan Greenspan said, rules cannot take place of character. Right? You can never have enough rules to overcome the uh, lack of character. And, and there's a psychologist, Chris Bauer, he says this. He said, I see a lot of companies saying that they're going to tighten their rules. I don't see a lot of them saying that they're going to work to be extremely clear about what their <laughs> values are. Right, right. Right? I mean, how much emphasis do we put on Caplico and these other things? And, and, and going on in his quote, he says, and give people training on how those values translate into actual behavior. See, real integrity has no need of rules, right? Because because there's just those and people <laughs> integrity. Yeah, and so so here's the hmm. the question that I'm always faced with. And if you go back to my my example of uh, I, I keep saying the offer, it was Deloitte and Touche. My my uh, my offer from Deloitte and Touche is what is our price? What is our breaking point where our integrity folds? So we've always got to strive to be pushing that pro- price higher, right? Our financial price, our social price, our, our physical price, whatever the cost, we've got to hold our integrity at a higher value. Let me give you a cheap example where, where sometimes people will realize, oh, maybe my integrity isn't worth that much. You go to the movies uh-huh. and you're with a kid and the person asks you, is this kid with you an adult or a child? <laughs> they look like a child. Right. But they're... Adult in age. From a ticket selling standpoint. Yeah. So I can lie. I can lie. And I can even know that that a lot of people do it. I can say that they're a child. And then I have to remember that that's my price point of integrity. The difference between the cost of a child ticket and adult ticket. Which is, that was my breaking which point. Which is interesting. Like that sometimes you would break it on something so... <laughs> So menial, menial, so small, but not over something yeah. so much larger. That's really interesting. You, you, you need time off, but you don't have a vacation day, but you do have a sick day. So you pretend to be sick. See, people think that they have integrity, yet you, I can go story after story where people listening go, oh, I've done that. <laughs> and they start to realize right. that, they, that they might lack that integrity. The, the value of that day is your price point of integrity If I in, in that sick day example. See, integrity isn't justified by everybody doing it. We all like to think we have integrity, but, but we have to check ourselves. We all like to call ourselves honest. But here's something that's interesting. Most followers in organizations question their leader's honesty, hmm. right? Gandhi was, I, I love this story. I love this story too because recently Amy Coney Barrett was uh, was being uh, um, placed on the Supreme Court. She was being questioned by the right. Senate and there was this whole kind of joke that happened. They said, can you show us your notes? And she showed this pad of paper that I think I had a picture on it, or I can't remember. <laughs> there, there, there was nothing on it. Um, th- th- there's, I, I learned this about Gandhi after I heard that story. He said, when asked how Gandhi gets by without notes, mm-hmm. because he was famous for never needing notes in meetings that he went in, his secretary mm-hmm. stated this. I love this quote. Mm-hmm. When Gandhi thinks, when he feels, what he says, and what he does, they're all the same. <laughs> he doesn't need notes. You and I, we think one thing, see another, say a third, and do a fourth. So we need notes and files to keep track. <laughs> that is a great, that is a great quote. That's awesome. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. When integrity, when it's all yeah. lined up. Right. 
you don't have to keep track of these things. And we'll talk later on about the, the pain of guarding secrets and the cost of not being transparent. That's, that's why Gandhi always said his life was his message. And that's why his results were amazing. I mean, you think yeah. about it, in India and throughout the world, he never held any type of authority or public office, but he had integrity because there was no gap in between his intent and his behavior. And that's where his power came yeah, from. That's incredible. The his impact intent he had and behavior were always the same. Purely from his integrity. That's, that's impressive. Yeah. So, I mean, integrity always makes sense. Um, you know, Seems like it's obvious, but hopefully it, it, we realize there's all things. There's things we all need. Yeah, to work on. and and, and to recognize see Vanessa looking guilty right she's now. Right, as I'm she's shaking her head things. all the whole time you were she's talking. Sweating. <laughs> <laughs> uh, how you know, you know, how, to, how do you recognize how difficult it is? You know, we did recognize how difficult it is to truly live a life of integrity. I mean, it, it's it's yeah. eye opening, right? It's it's not easy. Um, and you did mention that intentions uh, were were incredibly yeah. important as well. And so maybe you could talk more about what you meant by intentions. Yeah, what because that's again. And it's we've talked we talk about capability we talk about integrity but but what is your team let's say if you're a leader of a team what does your team think your why is do they trust it ask yourself how much your teams and your partners trust your intent do they do they think you go to work every day for them or for yourself right i mean you can tell when somebody's in it for themselves mm -hmm. and you don't trust that intent but you can also tell when somebody cares about you and they want to help you. If they if they if they feel like you're really just looking out for number one, then they don't trust your intent. We've I I recently uh, I was listening to I think it was Simon Sinek who was talking about the platoon commanders who refuse to eat until their entire team has eaten, and then one time there was no food left over for the commander, and as soon as they went out to the field, all the team brought their food to that commander <laughs> because awesome. he he was willing to not eat for them, right. and it changes how they respond. Uh, to to him or her, awesome. they trusted the commander's intent. They knew he cared about them and wasn't just in there for himself. And, and if you think you think about it this way, genuine caring, really caring about someone, inspires so much trust. Right? If I know someone really cares about me, yeah. my trust in them goes up so high. The, the Dalai Lama, so I'm going from Gandhi now to the Dalai Lama, <laughs> said, said this, said the best way to develop trust is to show your genuine sense of concern for their well-being. When you know, I, hmm. I, I remember talking to my dad once, uh, uh, early days of the organization, and, and, and he was saying, I don't want to run an organization where people feel like they have to guard each other's backs. I want to run yeah. an organization where everyone feels like someone else is looking out for their best interests. Right. Someone just, else yeah, is concerned about awesome. them. And, and I, you know, I, that genuine caring, I think is so important. And I know people that are so good at showing that and not being fake. I'll, I'll throw this in. We, we just uh, had the Super Bowl recently. There's a Hall of Fame football coach named Jimmy Johnson. He now uh, is, is uh, I don't know, color commentator, announcer on a lot of the sports programs. He said the only thing worse than a coach or a CEO who doesn't care about his people is one who pretends to care. <laughs> right? <laughs> Don't yeah, be fake. don't pretend I mean, it's, if it's you can't true. actually care, then please have the show the respect and courtesy to not fake it. Yeah, yeah. Look, your team and your partners have to know that your agenda is about their well-being. Yeah. Right? Customer second needs to ooze from you. Uh if if it's simply your agenda, then they're not going to trust you. Here's here's some statistics that yeah. prove out that we're not 
good at this. Only 29% of employees believe that their leaders care about developing their skills. Wow. And only 42% believe their leaders care about them at all. That is incredibly, that's incredibly low. That's incredibly low numbers. Wow. That is, is that just sort of across the working industry? Yeah, yeah. It's not not our organization. I'm sure our organization is 100%. Oh, right? I'm sure. Yeah, so 99%. Vanessa, <laughs> do you know we care about you? Okay. So, so here's the thing I'll say then too. So, so declare your intent. Share with your team what your intent is, what your why is. Make sure that they know why you come to work every day and then act in a way that they will never doubt it. I love the story of CVS. CVS Pharmacy in 2014 declared their intent helping people on the path to better health. They said, this is what we're gonna believe in. This became their mission. But they made $2 billion a year selling cigarettes. <laughs> that doesn't seem like a great uh, way to support their mission. <laughs> so they chucked it. They stopped doing it. Two, at wow, the cost $2 billion? of $2 wow. billion dollars a year, they said they lost $2 billion in revenue, but they stated their intent and then they lived by it. Look, I, I think that is a very similar story to Ensign's story of, of you know, spinning off their real estate and they had an opportunity to spin off their real estate for an extra $500 million. But by doing so, yeah. they would have raised the rents, mm -hmm. all of these things that would have, you know, caused issues. And, and, and Ensign's intent is to dignify the post-acute care in the eyes of the world. And they believe that you couldn't do that if facilities were paying extra high rents. And so it didn't go along with their intent and to the tune of $500 million, awesome. turn that down. Declare your intent and live it. Focus on a win for your entire team and not just you. Yeah. So again, going back to this whole idea, if, you're, if your team genuinely, if, if they know that you genuinely care about them, then they're going to feel safe with you. And if they feel safe with you, they'll walk through walls for you. Right. That makes sense. Right. I mean, Peter, Peter Drucker, who's a management guru, he makes this, uh, this good point. He says, it's, uh, you know, and especially as we've entered into this sort of new COVID world, I want you to listen to this quote. He says, you cannot prevent a major catastrophe, but you can build an organization that is battle ready, that has high morale, that knows how to behave, that trusts itself and where people trust one another. In military training, the first rule is to instill soldiers with trust in their officers because without trust, they won't fight. Oh, that makes sense. So, you know, what What did you as a leader learn when COVID hit? Did, did your team scatter or did they trust their leader and stay and fight? It's all based on that trust level. Yeah, that's a that's a great and I'm sure hard question for some people to ask. I mean, the, the timing is great for it, right? Uh, I mean, we certainly had that that COVID pandemic hit a, a lot of us and and um, had to ask that question. We saw some people yeah. scatter and we saw some teams get tighter. Yeah, and it, it's you know I can see that it's really built on integrity and good intentions and um, <laughs> it's pretty all those pre things yeah, matter. Pretty, pretty pretty clear to see yeah. that now. Um, but do you think integrity and good intention is, is enough? Do you think capability plays a factor at all in any of this? I mean, I, I think that's a loaded question, right? I mean, because I don't want just anybody to operate on me. Like, <laughs> you know, um, I wouldn't necessarily have Dr. Clayton Christensen perform yeah, surgery on I, me, but. I wouldn't um, either. Yeah, no, capability, obviously. So, so we've talked about, you know, intent and integrity and other things like that. And those things matter, but trust obviously can't be there 
unless capability is there, right? Capability and track record are are essential to building trust. Uh, when someone is capable, they're yeah. credible. Uh, but but in this world, that requires so much more than just becoming capable. We never arrive really to capability, right? That that's where passion for learning comes in. We must become constant learners to remain credible, right? Capable today doesn't mean capable tomorrow, right? Um, I I, I don't sure. want a doctor from the 1800s, you know, putting leeches on me to 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 <laughs> cure some disease. And 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 think about this, and and it's true. This the saying is. We promote, we often promote people to the level of their incompetence, right? We, we promote <laughs> them until they that. can't yeah, a... do it. Yeah. You, don't cut that snort no, mouth just, out of the podcast. Make sure, sure it stays in there. Always. So, so we rely on the skills that get us there to, to where we are, but, but we don't have what's necessary to succeed in the new situation, right? Yeah. We, we, the great nurse that we promote to become a, a nurse leader, but they don't know how to be a leader, right? right? So. Ask yourself what capabilities you have that make you credible and, and that inspire trust and confidence in others. Not, not just talent, but skills. Here's Now I'm going to Will Smith. I'm going from, from uh, Gandhi and the Dalai Lama to, all to of, Will Smith. All over the right? map here. All over very, the map. Very similar people. So Will Smith differentiates between the two. He says, talent you have naturally. Skill is only developed by hours and hours of beating on your craft. Right. Mm -hmm. But some people don't have that passion for learning or passion for change. Right. I, I, the story that I love and it's also kind of sad is the CEO of Blockbuster laughing out of his office, the CEO of a much smaller and much more <laughs> insignificant Netflix. Right. Because it just wasn't now we've we've got this. We've got this under control. We're much we're a multi-billion dollar company. Right. You're a 12 million dollar company. You're never going to amount to anything. Right. So so here applies the great quote. If you don't like change, you're going to like irrelevance even less. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great. quote. Right. Pat's you've got to become a passionate learner. You've got to be constantly developing your skills. If you if you become complacent, you're dead. If you want to be successful, become a constant learner. This, the, the line my dad always used was, uh, in a world of change, the learner will inherit the earth. That's a great line. Right? That's a great he's, line. He's, it's why passion for learning was always uh, such a big core value for him. And then I guess I'll, I'll, I'll finish with this. Following up with demanding results and having high expectations. Do you know who Tara Hellenthal is? She's a leader out in Nebraska, yeah. uh, a market leader out in Nebraska. She said this once, um, and, I, and I've always really liked it. And, you know, I don't have it like quoted. She didn't put it in a book <laughs> or anything. But she said, as leaders, we become too afraid to have high expectations, hmm. right? We're, we're afraid to set these really high goals but remember, results equals trust, right? That's why we have to take responsibility for results, not activities. We can't sit there being concerned, but I did this and I did that yeah. and I told them this and I, <laughs> I can't be complaining about I've these done activities. X, y, and Z. Yeah. It's got to be about results because it's activities don't build trust, results do. The results are what matter, no matter how hard we work. Right? Uh, Winston Churchill kind of backs this. He says it's it's no use saying we're doing our best. You have got to succeed in doing what is necessary. Doing our best it's, isn't, it's, that doesn't not, matter right, as much, right? 
I, you know, as as a kid, I remember my parents loving this movie, My Fair Lady. And I, I don't know if I've ever seen it the whole way through. I, I just remember the line, the rain in Spain flows mainly on the plain or something like that. Vanessa, you that's, know that's more That's more than I know, yeah. Right. That's so, with you on this one, but, but there's a principle in this movie that that uh, I've, I've always loved. And it's, you know, he this, this teacher has these very high expectations for these women, right? Mm-hmm. We tend to get what we expect both from ourselves and from others. When we expect more, we tend to get more. Hmm. When we expect less, we tend to get less. So I so I sort of changed the line that Charles uh, Dyer, I think it is, says, uh, says when you change the way you see things, the things you see change. I change it to change the way you see people and the people you see will change. When teachers have higher expectations of their students, they learn more right? It's just true. So if you want to increase your results, expect to win. Mm-hmm. Like not only for yourself, but for your team. Yeah. Right. And and, and I'll finish with, with uh, I'll, I'll quote two people on this. I, I have a friend who's, uh, you know, was very competitive. He was a, a former starting NFL quarterback. Um, and, and he was saying, uh, telling me the other day, he says, there's a lot of people that start things in life. There's so few people that are willing to finish. That, that have the grit that it takes to finish. So, yeah. so here's what Ben Franklin says to, um, to resonate with that. He said, beginners are many, finishers are few, <laughs> right? We live in a society of, of victims and quitters, and that can't be us. Yeah. Results equal trust. We, we hold others accountable to results, yet for some reason we want to be judged by our intentions, and then we think that the problem is out there and not with us, and, and we've <laughs> got to stop this. No, that, that's, uh, this has been great, Clay. There's, there's a lot of information you gave today and really talked about on, on building trust and advice on building trust and, and how we can actually get better at that. It seems like we've laid a, a strong foundation for the whole topic. Um, I think for our next podcast, we can focus more on really relationship trust um, and how we can do better with that. Yeah, we've kind of established the importance of it and and how to build that foundation. And now, you know, how can we apply it in our group? So, yeah, I think this is super helpful for me personally. So thank you. I look look forward to the next one. Good. Thanks, Ryan. Thanks, Ryan.